Gracious and loving God, we are here today asking that you speak to us personally, deeply, so that we may know you and we may know how to live in this world where there's pain, there's suffering, and there's disease. Help us, O oh Lord, not to lose hope, especially because we are the bearers of your good news. We are people who declare that we are children of the Most High God. Help us, O oh God, to see you the way we should, and really, O oh Lord, to put all our hopes in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the COVID-19, as we see, is not just about illness. It's about lots of people going through a crisis situation, whether physically or economically, and that's not going to be easy, right? Suffering causes us to lose sight of God and question if God is really a fair God, a good God. And so we ask the question, why should I come to this God who I don't understand? Why he allows so much suffering around the world? So we see in the Bible very clearly, it is said that God is the God of righteousness. It means here that God is in his character righteous. He is the God who upholds justice. It is who He is. And that is hard to understand if we live in a world filled with injustice, right? But also the Bible tells us that injustice is caused by sin of humanity. Because we choose to go against God, then all the injustice comes, gets its source from our sin. And so, there is also pain and suffering as a consequence of sin. But we have a difficulty of grasping that in the midst of suffering because all we want is for the suffering, the pain, and the difficulty to stop. No? And so, we look at a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was said, because of his faith, it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham did not have a righteousness of his own. He was only declared righteous because he placed his full faith in God. And so we come about us also, we are not righteous people. We are in the Bible called unworthy sinners. And because we are all sinners, we only derive righteousness today because we are in Christ. And so we have to understand that this is the situation around us today. The unrighteous man in the midst of suffering and pain in this world challenges the righteous God. Why do you allow us to suffer? Ulitin ko, ah. It is the situation of us. If the Bible is correct, no one is righteous, not even one. Right? We are clenching our fists and telling God, Lord, why are you letting us suffer? It is the unrighteous challenging 
God's righteousness. And that is such a sad picture because what we truly need is the mercy of the God of justice. Because if God were fair, we know where we will all go. We know where we will, what we all deserve. We know what will happen. Okay, and so this is a grave reminder for us okay, to humble ourselves before God. So let's get back to Abraham. We remember last week that God called Abraham and one of the highlights here is he left and followed as God has promised to the great unknown, right? So he was 75 years of old and God called him to leave his hometown to go elsewhere to trust God to provide for him a threefold promise of land, seed, and blessing. He will be uh, possessing the land he's able to see, the land of promise. He will have descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and the, uh, the sand of uh, the, uh, the earth. He will be a great nation, a father indeed of many nations. And then most important is this will happen so that he can become a blessing, so that he will be the channel of God's salvation plan. And so we see Abraham, wow, he obeyed without questioning. He just left with his family and set out. But Abraham's life story is not always a great one. Because despite his moment of obedience, he had also moments where there were flaws of, in his character. For example, he lies to Pharaoh about Rachel. He lies to Abimelech about Rachel. He puts his own wife and his own uh, future in jeopardy because he feared man more than he feared God. Because of his and Sarah's impatience, then we have Hagar and Ishmael. Okay, there were some other times where we see Abraham not as the father of faith, but sometimes the father of lies, right? We see Jacob was called the liar or the deceiver. Well, because Isaac was also a deceiver and because Abraham was also a deceiver. Now, as he grew in his understanding of God, we also saw some great moments about Abraham. One of these great moments is exactly this passage, where he will be interceding for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? So this is one of his shining moments, but we have to understand what we can glean on from this passage in terms of our own relationship with God. Of course, the uh, pinnacle of Abraham's story is his willingness to sacrifice Isaac, his one and only son, to God. Okay? Unwaveringly, it showed his commitment to God and foretold of God's plan of sending his own son. So Abraham was never portrayed to be perfect. But because of his faith, it was credited to him as righteousness. 
So this is what we can see from his life. In this particular incident, three men came to the tent of Abraham to talk about his plan of giving him a son. Okay, remember Sarah laughed and she was reprimanded by the three men, the men of God. Okay, we call it theophany or uh, uh, God appearing to them in physical form. But there was a situation in verse 16 of chapter 18. You might want to open your Bible there. Genesis chapter 18, verse 16, where God considered to involve Abraham in what he was about to do, which will set the stage for what we are studying today. And let me read it out loud as you follow in your Bible. Genesis 18, verse 16, it says, The men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, which means Yahweh, okay, the God, the Creator, said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? And we know that is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Again, let's be clear about this. It was not Abraham who immediately prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah, it was God who decided to involve Abraham by telling him what he is about to do. And the purpose is so that he may raise godly children. Today's children said, so that he may raise future generations who will uphold God's righteousness and justice. So that he may, as a father of many nations, be a model of Christ-like priorities. This was the purpose God involved Abraham. And that has to be in our background as we look at Abraham's prayer. So that was God's underlying reason. So in verse 20, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is grave. I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. He continued to converse with God, and so this is what happens, the verse that was read a while ago. So God wanted to impress in the heart of Abraham a heart lesson he will not forget as he see Sodom and Gomorrah go down in ashes. It will forever remind him of how God treats sin seriously because he ought to be a model to all the people. They are to uphold the righteousness and justice of God so that they will always be in the blessings of God. 
So this is what God intended, to, why he involves Abraham. So we will see four things in Abraham's prayer. We will go to that by and by. The problem of our generation today is we become too busy with our own lives, own careers, own families, that we cannot feel much for the others out there anymore. So when we see poverty on the streets, we do not feel much. We have people who are suffering, we do not care much. We just have a tendency to be so consumed with our own lives. Right? One of our dilemmas, having difficulty doing outreach in the condos, is because neighbors don't know each other anymore. Okay? They will go past the guard, go directly to their homes, and not make friends with neighbors. I remember when I was young, no four-story building, walang elevator, we will go to our neighbor's house, we will play with each other, and we can say we grew up together, but not the children today. There's just this situation where we don't feel much for people anymore. But guess what? That was not Abraham's state of heart. When he heard that Sodom and Gomorrah will be burned down by the flames, he was moved and he needed to stood before God. We don't know if it is really for Sodom and Gomorrah or for his nephew Lot and his family because they are living there but he stood there to intercede with god so upon hearing the predicament of sodom abraham stays back to reason with god and that was good because the intention is that he will be a blessing to the nations right he was living out his calling at that point even though it has not happened yet but the lesson will cut deep into his heart. He appeals to God in this situation. Will you let the righteous suffer along with the wicked? Right? So Abraham appeals to God's moral integrity. Lord, if you were a just God, will you let the righteous suffer along with the wicked. Now, when we seek uh, something from our parents, no, children, sometimes they will use threat. Diba, mga bata, they will threaten you. Daddy, if I do not get this, I will do this. Sometimes they will do guilt trip. Daddy, if I don't get that, it means that you don't love me. Okay, sometimes ex deal bargaining. Okay, if you give me what I want, I will give you what you want. Or, uh, most often than not, if they know what's good for them, they will use your cute, their cute charm. Okay? Papakyut na lang ng papakyut to get what they want. We use different methods to get what we want. And sometimes, that's how we pray. Right? We threaten God. We use guilt trip to ask God for our needs. Sometimes we, we do X deal with God. And sometimes we try to charm God to get our way, but it does not work. So sa apat, ano kaya yung ginagawa ni Abraham to God by appealing to God's 
moral integrity. He is trying to guilt trip God. <laughs> Do you see that? Lord, far it be from you. Because you are a just God, will you allow this righteous to also suffer with the wicked? He was trying to guilt trip God. No? So in verse 25 it says, Far it be from you to do such a thing to put the righteous to death along with the wicked, so the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. Right? And so that was the argument of Abraham. So I wonder if you also do the same way. Right? We try to convince God that he should be good. We try to convince God that he should act fairly. We try to convince God that he should be just. And we try to tell God that he should treat us graciously. Lord, are you being fair? Are you being just? Are you being good? Are you being just by allowing these things to happen? Right? And yet, again, that just tells us how much we don't know God because the Bible says God is just, God is good, God is a God who we can put our hopes in. So Abraham was an unrighteous man defending unrighteous people before a righteous God and he was challenging God's moral integrity. But God doesn't get angry. God didn't retaliate. God just simply listens to Abraham and we will discover what Abraham discovered about God. How do we come to God today? How do we pray? How do we approach when we are in suffering and need? Abraham was reminded in this section of the passage that he was but dust and ashes. He said, I stood before the Lord, but I am but dust and ashes. He took a stance of humility. Right? Because Sabi sa Bible, from dust we came, from dust we shall return. We are just from the dust of the earth, and He is the Creator. We are low, He is high. We are um, uh, unworthy, He is worthy. He took that stance of humility before God. But also, dust and ashes can mean mourning. Because Israelites will put dust and ashes on their head and faces as they grieve towards the sins of the people. So this was the stance that Abraham took. Abraham said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to Yahweh, I who am but dust and ashes. Right? He was appealing to God's moral integrity, but he also took a posture of humility. When uh, getting caught by police for some traffic violation, intentional or unintentional, I have learned through the years not to be rude to the police. Ako na mali, ako pa sisigaw, ako na mali, ako pa bang aaway. Right? And I've seen on the road people really, you know, embarrassing the police, arguing with the police. Okay? So, that is a stance of humility. I violated some law, 
maybe I'm not in the wrong, but he is a man of authority, so I will usually lower my voice, apologize, and, you know, uh, submit to whatever the police says. But in my case, they always tend to let me go. I don't know why. So the other day, uh, my mistake, so, binabaan niya, nag-iintay siya na lagi sa, sorry po, I, uh, you can take my license. Um, I have learned my lesson to, that if I'm wrong, I have to, naawa naman siya usually, binibalik yung, binabalik yung lisensya. But that doesn't mean I have to keep violating the law. But the point is, when we talk to God and act as if we are greater than God, what does it say about our view of God? Okay? So, never shout, never argue, accept reprimand, speak kindly and respectfully. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I am but dust and ashes. He appealed to God. He did it with great humility and self-awareness. And he shows that he knows he was standing before a God who will not only be able to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he will also be able to judge the whole earth. He pleads God for mercy. Right? In verse 23, he said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? 24, Suppose there were 50 righteous in the city. Will you sweep away the place and not spare it for 50? And then from 50, it becomes 40, 30, 20, until 10. Right? So, he was asking God not to be angry. He was lowering the stakes. He wants Sodom and Gomorrah and probably Lot and his family to be safe. Well, if I were God, I would have exploded ang kulit. Diba? Bargaining and bargaining and bargaining. So, he pleaded for God's patience and God indeed showed great patience. What does the Bible say about prayer? Right? What, was, what does the Bible say about prayer? If we ask in faith, God will answer. If we ask and do not give up, God responds. If we believe in whom we pray to, He will respond. Right? If God, if our parents will not withhold good things from us, how much more our Heavenly Father. Don't be afraid that God is angry because makulit tayo. That's not mine, really. He just wants us to approach Him with humility and faith. You know, we tend to ask God for big things, but we are ashamed to ask God for small things and want to do it ourselves. We totally misunderstand what it means to be dependent on God, right? To depend on God on everything. We do our work, but we depend on God for strength, okay? We share the gospel, but we depend on the Holy Spirit to change lives. We do, but not in our strength, but in God's strength, and that is what God desires. Finally, we look at Abraham's perspective. Right and wrong perspectives 
affect how we respond to situations and how we respond to God. For example, pera. No? And with unconsciously, we put a high value and priority on earning money in our lives. Okay? And we stop thinking that we are already serving money instead of money serving us. Because we have started to make money the center of all we do instead of money as a tool given by God okay, to serve Him. That's what we call perspective. When we carry the wrong perspective in life, we respond and do the wrong things. Right? So are we lovers of money or are we lovers of God? And so when we understand this principle, it's easy to part ways with our tithes and offerings. Right? It's easy to give to God because we know that the money does not belong to us, not even our very lives. We do not hold on to things on this earth because we know what is more important, the glory of God. And so here, Abraham's perspective should have changed in every reply of God because God says, if I find 50, I will spare the whole place for their sake. If I find 45, I will spare the whole place. I will not do it. If I find 30, 20, and even 10, I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. I will not punish if there were. And so what would Abraham have felt if when he saw Sodom and Gomorrah burning down in ashes? What would he have discovered about God? What would he have thought because he interceded for his people and nothing was left? What would he have felt? Yes, indeed, the Bible says clearly no one is righteous. Not even one. No one is blameless. Not even one. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. Who can escape the fires of hell except through Jesus? Except through Jesus dying on the cross. Except through Jesus giving up his um, place in heaven to be one of us to die on the cross for us. We have no But, brothers and sisters, we are in Christ, and so we carry the message of hope. We are not to be hopeless, because our hope is not in this world. It's in the world of eternity that God has prepared for us. Jesus has, is preparing in his mansions a place for you and I. We are in this world, but we are not citizens of this world. We learn this deep lesson from Abraham that we are to know our God. He is the righteous God. We are the unrighteous people that in Christ we receive the gift of eternal life and the clothes of righteousness because of Jesus' death, 
because of him washing us with his blood. So when we see suffering, when we see trouble, when we see heartache, when we see difficulties, we do not clench our fists and tell God, are you really a just and fair God? Because he always is. That is who he is. Instead, we come to God in the posture of humility. We come to God knowing that he responds even if we ask once, twice, thrice, four, five times. He's patient to listen and help us to gain perspective of what is in his heart and will. So why do we pray? Lessons we can learn from Abraham's petition. I would like to share these four things briefly. We pray not because we can convince God. We pray because when we do, we will find God in the most difficult situations of life. That's why we pray. Because we are in need of God. We pray, second, not because we can change God. Because He will always be who He is. A God who loves us. A God who is just. A God who is merciful. But we pray because we need God to change us. So we pray. We pray not because we are concerned about the world and what is happening around us. We pray because if we love God, we will also love the world he loves. He does not want any single one to perish, but he is also just. We pray because God is concerned about the world. God is as much pain at suffering, even more pain than us. We see the suffering of a few. God sees the suffering of all, and it moved him to sacrifice his own son. We pray, finally, not because we know God. We pray because in the posture of humility and dependence, we will know God. And there is no other way, no other way for us to know God deeply except for us to face the cross. The cross is the statement of God's love. The cross is the statement of God's salvation. The cross is the statement that God welcomes us to be his children. We can go to God because God is a God who loves you and me. He loves this world and the people in it. He desires no one to perish. God's desire is for Abraham and his future generations to take sin seriously, to take faith seriously, to walk the ways of righteousness and justice so that future generations can know this God. Impress on the children through your prayer life and through your desire to know God what it is like to be men and women of faith. And they will find God. They will see God. They will know God. They will learn to love and serve 
God. Today is Children's Sunday, and God's desire is not only for fathers and mothers to know God, but through their life of example, through their walk with God, discover what it means that God loves them too. Let's bow down our heads. If you are reminded today to draw close to God in the midst of this crisis around us, then call out to God for yourself, for your family, for our nation, for our world. This is a time when people must call out to God, the God who loves, the God who cares for us.